I get the chance today to talk to a woman who has an incredible story. You're not going to believe the kind of health crisis that she went through repeatedly, time after time after time. In fact, when she thought she was out of the woods, it got worse. And when it got worse, it got worse than that. And when you thought it can't possibly get any worse than what I'm hearing right now, in this episode, she tells you it gets even worse. And in, in spite of all of the challenges, in spite of what this did to her and her family, Dr. Brittany Claiborne has used her experiences to try to help other people find hope and healing in the midst of crazy circumstances. So hang on to your seats for this episode of Unbeatable with Dr. Brittany Claiborne. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Brittany Claiborne, Dr. Brittany Claiborne, my new old friend. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Unbeatable. Thank you so much, Jeff, for having me. I, I have been looking all over for you, my new old friend, and I'm so glad that we've run into each other. Yeah. Well, we just got connected with each other. I'm in Georgia, you're in Texas, and we're becoming best friends, BFFs from a co- halfway across the country. That's right. That's right. And I'm super excited to to share with you and to share with your audience and, and see what you can. I'm really here to see what you can impart to me today. So that's what I'm excited about. Really? Because that's a, that's funny. I'm here to do the same thing. So this is going to be a really awkward episode, <laughs> me and you today. Hey, you got a pretty amazing story. Uh, you got an incredible family. You're in a very educated and very articulate woman. I want to get to how you ended up where you are today because it was, I don't think this phrase does it justice. It was an intense roller coaster ride to be able to get to where you are today, right? It was absolutely a ride. Um, and I don't even think it's over yet. I think this is, I actually think this is the good part, right? Uh, All right. So I'm, I'm really excited about what I've come through and, and what's coming up in the future. Yeah. You got a great story. You're an incredible speaker. Like I said, you're a very educated woman um, holding a Ph.D. and very, very um, extensive experience in and out of the hospital. So let's talk about let's go back in time. Let's talk about when you're in your early 20s and all of a sudden, boom, you got pregnant. And man, this should have been one of the best moments of any woman's life. Can you tell us what it was like? to learn that you were pregnant at uh, 25, 26 years old. Yeah, I, you know, I went actually to drop. It was the funniest thing. I I didn't plan on being pregnant. I had just gotten married in October of 2009. And my husband and I, we had decided, oh, we're going to wait five years. We're going to travel the world. Yeah, of course. But no, it didn't happen that way. I got pregnant in January. So (laughs) like three months later, I got pregnant. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And... Um, and, and the pregnancy was great. It actually went really, really well. I was able to work through it, no complications. But um, really, you didn't have the morning sickness. You didn't wake up every day feeling like you yeah. want to punch somebody in the face. You know what? I fe- I still wake up feeling like I want to punch somebody in the face. So that's uh, right. But yeah. You know what? My my husband got morning sickness more than I did. For you, <laughs> he did. What a sweet guy. He yeah, really did. man, what a sweetheart. Yeah, he really did. He's my ex husband now, so he's just a dude. But. <laughs> Uh-huh. He's still a nice guy. I, I still like him. I was about to say the w- listeners are sitting there saying, okay, what's up with the pregnancy thing here? So yeah, no. tell everybody when stuff started to go wrong in the pregnancy. When did you start to notice something ain't right here? You know, I actually didn't notice. I went for a 3D ultrasound at 33 weeks. And for the people that don't have the math, that's late in the pregnancy. Yeah, late in the pregnancy. So I had about I had about two months left. I was about six and a half, uh-huh. almost seven months pregnant. And I went to get one of these fun little 4D ultrasounds. And the sonographer said... Because you wanted to see your baby's face to say, yep, that's my baby. Right, that's right. Exactly. So <laughs> I, uh, I went in to do this and the sonographer said, you know, the baby is looking good, but the fluid is low. So just check with your doctor. So I went and checked with my doctor uh-huh. and she said, listen, we have about um, 48 hours to get this baby out of you or you're going to seize. What? Save you both. So wow. um, we had to make the decision on whether to 
deliver him early. So we chose to deliver him early. He was born. He was two pounds. And he went straight to... He was about how many weeks or how many months early? Two months early? Oh, yeah. He was two months early and he was two pounds. Wow. Um, He went to neonatal ICU. And he was born on a Sunday. And I actually was sent home on Tuesday because... Besides just normal post-pregnancy pain, um, I was told that everything was fine. And I'd never had a baby before. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any different. So I went home on Tuesday. And on that Friday, I went to lie down. And it felt like someone was laying me down underwater. The farther back I laid down, the less I could breathe. So uh, Before we get into, sorry, before we get into some details about Friday, I want to ask a question about that sitting in the doctor's office and hearing, you got 48 hours. Um, my wife and I have five children. Our first child was born by emergency operation and it was very severe. And the doctors threw a bunch of paperwork in front of us and basically said, if we don't wheel her down to the emergency room and have this baby immediately, she's going to die and the baby's going to die. But I remember thinking the paperwork that I'm signing says, if something happens, we're either going to take your wife's life or take your baby's life. And I'm thinking about you right now, Brittany, thinking you're in this situation where either I die or my baby dies or both. And I kind of want to know what was that 48 hours to get this baby, to have this baby? What was that moment like for you as a mom, uh, you know, first, first time pregnancy? It was the most intense and the most heart-wrenching moment that I've ever experienced because as a parent, even as a first-time parent, you don't love anything more. Yeah, right. Yeah. Child. And to just to have to decide if it comes down to it, like you said, that that per- that paperwork that they put in front of you and say, "Hey, who do you want me to save?" Right. You, you never have to make that decision. That no human being on the planet wants to have to choose between a spouse and a child. Right. They don't tell you that in high school. They're not like, let's finish reading, you know, the Odyssey and then look at the paperwork. Right. You have to choose between yeah. your life and your child's. Like nobody talks yeah. to you about that. Nobody tells you that. So being a first time parent and remember my pregnancy was fine. So I'm literally coming from. Yeah. Right. Now. Like this is out of the blue, yeah, right? Completely out of the blue. And it was, there was so much more going on. We, we actually had moved out of our, um, we actually had moved, this was a Friday. We actually had moved out of our apartment on Thursday and we didn't have a house. What? Because we, wow. we were in transition. You're in between. Yeah. So we yeah. had stuff piled up in the car and half of the things were at my mom's house and half of the things were at oh, my goodness. house. So, I mean, we were not prepared for this child, let alone for everything that came after. So. Uh, you're you're driving to the hospital to the emergency room with boxes in the back of the car and getting ready to have an emergency operation to have a baby this is crazy sitting in the hospital room and they've got me all hooked up to the things and my husband has left because he's he's like do i go to work do i not go to work do i go right right to the house to try to like speed it up to get it ready what do i do um so we're all over the place and we're 26 so we're like uh I, we thought we were adults at that point. <laughs> yeah. So it was that 40, you know, nobody's ever asked me that question, but now sitting back and thinking about it, that 48 hours was insane because not only am I going to bring, and they gave us the worst case scenario, right? They have to. Yeah. Have to. Right. Yeah. They always do that. Like if, 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 if X happens, right. you got to make a decision. And I'm like, is X going to happen? Is that what you're saying? No. Maybe some numbers, right? <laughs> Right. Um, and not only that, they're like, you know, he's 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 young, so he's probably not going to be breathing on his own. He, you know, he's probably yeah. going to be this. He he probably he could have some brain damage if the fluids low. So they're giving us all of these worst case scenarios, plus saying, and you may have to decide if he dies or you die. Well, Brittany, you, I've met a handful of women who have been in the same situation you're in, and they had the paperwork pushed in front of them. And it's fascinating how many of them say, if you have to choose, I want you to make sure that my baby survives and I don't. And I'm thinking like they're literally saying, I am going to give my life up for a human being that I've never even met before, but I've been carrying them around inside of me in your case for about six and a half months and give this child a chance of life, even if that means I have to die in the process. And 
I don't think many people can understand how gut-wrenching signing that form is. That that's the worst. That's one of the worst feelings in the world to choose which one of the two is going to survive right. if it gets to the worst case scenario. That's right. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and unfortunately, that wasn't the only time that I had to sign a paper that said, "Yeah, if my life ends, then that's that's okay." Yeah. Um, okay. So, so let's go forward in time just a week. Yeah. You've just had the baby. You got some aches and pains. Now it's Friday. You're laying down and all of a sudden something is very, very wrong. Pick up the story here where I interrupted you. So something is very, very wrong. I go to the doctor and they say, oh, um, you have had a heart attack recently. I said, no. Wait a second. 26 years old and the doctor said, I need you to say that again for the listener who's driving and, and, and missed that right. one. Right. The, the doctor says, oh, you've had a heart attack recently. And I said, no, I have had a baby recently. And <laughs> Maybe you misunderstood right. baby for heart attack. Right, exactly. And he said, no, no, your, your troponin levels, your heart function, your ejection fracture, everything is out of whack. You've had a heart attack recently. Wow. So I get hooked up with a cardiologist and he says, you have a condition called peripartum cardiomyopathy. It's an unexplained. Yeah, I have no idea what you just said, but it, something about baby and heart, it sounds right. like that's what so that has to do. Peripartum, right? That's, there's that, that maternal part. Cardiomyopathy baby. is... is Heart. Right. is a weakening of the heart muscle due to pregnancy, but it's completely unexplained. There's no, we can't line up a hundred, we, we call it PPCM, peripartum cardiomyopathy. We can't line up a hundred PPCM women and say, this is the contributing factor. It's just completely mm -hmm. Um And what, what happened is I got, so my son is in the neonatal ICU and then they admit me into cardiac ICU across the hospital. Oh my goodness. And my mom and my husband are running back and forth between two different hospitals. Same hospital, thankfully. Yeah. Different um obviously different different, different wards, different right? yeah. And I am trying to produce breast milk so they're bringing me blankets of his to smell and they're bringing him things of me so that he can create an attachment. Wow. And it's just chaos. Um but eventually I get to go home about two weeks later and I've got all these new medications and all of these new things to manage as now a heart failure patient. And about a week and a half after I got home, they sent him home at three pounds and five ounces. <laughs> so I have me, Brittany, the 26 year old that is in yeah. with five new medications. And moving uh, houses and everything else in life is in up and And I've got wow. Micah, the three-pound miracle baby, um, that mm -hmm. can't fit any preemie clothes because they're too big and has to eat every hour and a half because that's how big his stomach is. So we managed, um, and Micah grew, and we did all the right things for two years. We did all the right things. And then one day I was at work and I was walking down the hallway and I had to stop and put my back against the wall because the room was moving in a way it shouldn't have been. So I went back to my cardiologist and he said, you know, your heart has been doing really well up until then. And with peripartum cardiomyopathy, uh, there are, there's a very small percentage of women that don't recover. Usually within time, the heart recovers and it's fine. But there's, there's a, like 3% that go on to need further care. There's like 1% that go on to need like a heart transplant. Well, let me ask you real quick. How, what is the percentage? I've never heard of this condition before. Never heard of anybody who had it. So what's the percentage of women that this is going to happen to? The percentage of women that have peripartum cardiomyopathy is, it's, it's actually often misdiagnosed. So uh -huh. a lot of, so to, to be incredibly honest with you, the first hospital that I went to, they told me I was having a panic attack and to go home and go back to sleep. Oh, they said it's all in your head. I had, yep. So I had to go to a second wow. hospital. Wow. But it affects, um, it says about 1,000 to 1,300 women in the U.S. develop this every year. So depending on the issues you have, 
Yeah. I, 20 million, 50 million women. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty fair to say. That's pretty fair. To say. And then, and then you said there's a small percentage. So a lot of women who are diagnosed with this, the doctors say you might recover. You might not. Is what did they tell you when they said you have this? They said, you're young, you're strong. You'll, you'll probably be fine. You'll, we're pretty sure that you'll be, you know, this is your first pregnancy. Your body doesn't have a lot of extra damage. You're healthy. Otherwise, you'll, you'll be okay. You'll be fine. And, and I, but then, but the worst case scenario is a small percentage. Go ahead. 1%. And I remember the doctor saying, like, I said, what is the prognosis for this? He said, I, I really feel like you'll be fine. He said, I mean, worst, worst, worst case scenario, like 1% of women need like a heart transplant, like something crazy insane, but yeah, you, you'll be fine. You're young. You'll be fine. And now two years later, you're walking down the hall and you're, you're, you're not fine. And the room is spinning and you got to stand up with your back against the wall. Put my back against the wall. And I, I call, I get to a chair. I call my doctor. He says, come in. So I go into the doctor's office and he said, your, um, your heart failure is getting a little bit worse. He said the words heart failure. Right. Because peripartum cardiac. And you're still in your 20s right now, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. We are. I am 28. 28. And I have a two-year-old at home. And yes, your heart failure is getting worse. And what that basically means is your heart is not squeezing as as strongly as it should be. That That's how they kind of measure heart failure. Wow. So, um, so just to be safe. So I don't know that you will need it. You're having just some irregular beats. I don't know that you'll need it, but let's put in a pacemaker and a defibrillator just to be sure, just to cover our bases. So we put in the pace. We I went and had surgery. So we did the pacemaker and the defibrillator and did got that taken care of. And I had that for about six months. And then I was laying in bed one night talking to my husband and I died. Yeah. You got to say that again because somebody missed that one. The children are playing are pulling at their attention and they just totally right. missed that one. You're laying in bed and what just happened? Laying in bed, talking to my husband, not doing anything major. And I died and everything just went black. And then the next thing I remember, I'm taking this deep breath and my chest is in pain and everything hurts and I'm being loaded into an ambulance and I get to the hospital and they're like, okay, your heart, you, you had a heart attack and you're, you, thankfully you had the defibrillator. It shocked you back. It got your rhythm back. You're okay. So I stayed in the hospital for a couple of days and then they sent me home with some new medications and, and that was kind of it. Um, but then over the next four years. I died five more times. Wow. Six times in four years. Six times in four years. And they yeah. were all in varying conditions. One time I was watching TV and Michael was playing with Legos on the floor and he watched me die. He and my mom were sitting in the living room. And there was another time I was driving by myself in the rain and I died. Oh my um, goodness. There were times I was just doing nothing, cutting vegetables for dinner, nothing in incredibly strenuous. So over the next, over those next few years, I died six times. And then finally they said, Brittany, your heart is, your heart has failed. Yeah, obviously. You will need a heart transplant. You are that 1%. You will yeah. need a heart transplant. And they told me two things. They said, you will need a heart transplant, but you have a very high level of antibodies so that, you know, people that have a high level of antibodies, they don't get sick often. Um, they tend to, to be really healthy. Most of the time, everybody else gets the flu. They don't get the flu. Um, their bodies fight everything. Right. And that's amazing unless you have a foreign organ in your body, because then if that foreign organ, yeah, they're going to go attack it, they're going to go attack it. Yeah. So you have to get an organ that's as close to the physiological and scientific makeup of your original organ that you possibly mm -hmm. have. 
So just for ease, we'll say, they say, okay, if we get a heart, we need at least 600 of the thousand antibodies to match. At least. We can get 600 wow. of the thousand, then, then we'll be good. Um, so I, they said the best way to get you a heart is for you to wait in the hospital until you get that heart transplant. So I said, okay, um, so how long of a wait will that be? They said, oh, you know, well, we've seen people wait for a few days. We've seen people wait for a few weeks. But, you know, being in the hospital, we'll, we'll get it. I said, well, what if we just don't do a heart that has this 600, you know, percent match? They said, well, listen, if you get offered 100 hearts, which you'll never get that many offers, but if you get offered 100 hearts, your body would would reject, fight, and kill 97 of them. Wow. So it, it needs to be very, very, very close. Um, so I said, okay, well, I will head to the hospital. I want to find out what's going on in your life. So how old is Micah at the time that the doctors say, you need to go to the hospital and you need another, you need an organ donor? Micah is five. So and... From the time Micah is two until the time that Micah is five, I have died six times. Yeah. And I was, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking about what the, like at this point, no one can trust your health. You can't trust your health. Your son can't, your family can't, nobody can trust that you're going to be driving and you're not going to have a massive heart attack and die. Um, you can't even trust that you can walk down the hall or cut some vegetables for dinner without having a heart attack. And now they're telling you, go to the hospital and wait. And we don't know how long you're going to wait. Right. Exactly. Exactly. The basically now your fam your entire family's life is just on hold. Everybody who's connected to you is on hold waiting for a heart, right? Exactly. We're waiting for a heart and and, and everything is on hold, right? It's not just because we say my life, but it, it's, I'm my parents only child. Um, my mom, yeah. my dad wow. already passed, but my mom, so she quit her job so that she could help take care of Micah, uh -huh. so that my husband could go to work, um, to continue to work because his insurance was my Yeah, you got to pay the, right, you got to pay the bills, and this is about right. to get insanely expensive. Right, heart transplants are not cheap, didn't know that. Yeah. Until I needed one. Um, so all of that stuff is happening in the background, and they tell me, the only thing you can do is wait. You can't help your family. You can't. All you can do is wait. So I am a very, very strong proponent of what the mind does, the body will follow. That's mm -hmm. I, just, like, I am too. Mind to do it, your body will do it too. Yeah. So I told myself if I can strengthen my mind, my body will stay strong as well. Because I was in cardiac ICU. I had wires and needles coming out of my neck and my arms and everywhere. Um, there was, there's not even a bathroom in the ICU. It's, it's a toilet, but there's no shower. There's, so I figured, okay, I can do this for a week, maybe two. And, you know, and hopefully I'll get the heart. They won't be done. But I also want to keep my brain busy. So I started an online master's degree. <laughs> hey, everybody, check this out. I am a patient in the cardiac ICU of a hospital. What the heck? Why not start a master's degree online while I'm doing this? <laughs> You're a pretty amazing woman. Thank you, Jeff. Um, but it was it was for my sanity, right? I went from being the mother of a four year old, you know, running around and doing things all day to just sitting in this hospital room, staring at the four building. walls and going bonkers. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I was like, okay, if I'm here, let me let me strengthen my mind, and hopefully that will keep my body going and ready to receive this heart when it comes. So. I figured uh, it's an online master's degree. I'll take my time. So I would talk to Mike on FaceTime in the morning. And then while he was at school for eight hours, I would be working on myself for eight hours. And he would come wow. home. Look and at you. Together, and his daddy would put him in bed and get him set. And then I'd go to bed and we'd do the same thing the next day. But the other thing that was happening in, as a part of my day is halfway through my day, my doctors would come in and I would say, do you have a heart? And they would say, no. Oh, I didn't think about this. How brutal day after day after day that question would be. Yeah. Do you have a heart? No, we're still waiting. Is is my heart is my heart getting stronger? No, it's getting it's getting weaker. We're running out of time. So 
just you hang in there and keep doing what you're doing and we'll check in with you again tomorrow. And wow. See you. For and how long? There's that part. So I'm getting up, I'm doing my master's degree and I'm hearing there is no part of the river. And I did that for, I planned two weeks. It lasted for nine months. Good gracious. Every day for nine months, do you have Every a heart day, for me? Nope. See you tomorrow. See. How about today? Nope. See you tomorrow. But the terrible part about that, Jeff, is I had to answer that question for Micah every day for nine months. Yeah. You can go home today, mommy. Not that day. Not today. Wow. Find out for mommy today. So nine months later, I am still sitting in that same hospital room, in that same hospital bed, with those wires and those needles being told, you're still dying today, Brittany. And there's still nothing we can do about it today. Um, just hang in there. And my master's degree is done at this point. Wow. And because, I mean, I have anything to do, Jeff. So, <laughs> because even with Micah, this is cardiac ICU. So it's not like he can come and hang out. Yeah. They had to sneak him up the back stairs on Sunday for 30 minutes. Right. Uh, nobody likes hospital. No patient likes hospitals. And the... ICU of a hospital is by far one of the worst places to be. And you're, you don't, you're not in this nice room. You're in ICU for nine months. I don't know what the record is, but that's got to be close to it. If you don't have the record that they should, you should talk to the guys from Guinness and find out if I got the record for this. Do I have the record for this? Yeah. I will ask. I will absolutely ask them. Um, so yeah, so I'm in there for nine months. I finished my master's degree and Michael calls me himself and he says, it is, August 22nd and he says mommy so it's August it's it's month eight of the year that means mm -hmm. I went in right after Thanksgiving I've missed Christmas oh I've man years. I've missed the last day of kindergarten and the first day of first grade yeah, I've yeah. lessons I've missed play dates I have missed the job the dive off the diving board you know you got to do that dive oh, off the yeah. diving board. I've missed that I've missed horseback riding lessons um and now it's August 22nd and he calls me and Michael calls me and says, mommy, I don't want to have a birthday party. And I said, okay, his birthday is in September. So I said, well, why, why would you not want to have a birthday party? Because if, if you're not going to be there, I don't want to have a birthday party. Oh man. So immediately I got off that phone call and I called my doctors and I said, get me out of here. I don't care what you have to do. Get me out of here. What, what can we do to get me back to my child? Because if I am yeah. going to try, I'm going to die with memories. I'm going to die having lived life, not in this room. Mm -hmm. And they said, there's one option. We can give you a type of a kind of mechanical heart called an LVAC. Yeah. And that will, will go in, will attach it to the right, to the left side of your heart. There'll be a wire that comes out through your stomach. You'll have to keep yourself plugged into a wall or into a battery. Um, but you can go home. And I said, okay, I, fine, whatever. I don't care. Let's do it. That was August 22nd. I went into surgery August 26th. And I woke up and they were right. There was a wire coming out of my stomach that led to this pump that was now my heart. And it had to stay plugged into two batteries or into the wall or into the car charger. But if it was not plugged in, I was not alive. You are the female version of Tony Stark. You're the Iron Woman, except for you don't get this, the cool suit that goes along with it, just the heart. You are the billions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. Um, Michael's birthday is September 12th, and he didn't, because he didn't want to party, um, he said, I just want cupcakes with my friends at school. So I worked so hard in, in physical therapy, in recovery, and on September 12th, after that open heart surgery, I walked out of the hospital and into his classroom. With cupcakes. With cupcakes. This is and, cool. And he ran to me crying. He said he was coming, but they were coming back from music and they had them lined up in the hallway. And he said, Michael, you go in first. And I was standing there with cupcakes. And he said, Mommy, you're here. Nine months. This is cool. And this is the first time in nine months he's gotten to hug me yeah. without a wire yeah. or without a needle wow. poking out or without a time limit on loving me. Mm -hmm. So life is okay. It's going on. I'm I'm getting used to this mechanical heart. 
we're learning how to plug things in and keep things rolling and we're, we're doing well. We're doing really, really well. But there was some maintenance that had to go with it. So I was back in the hospital about, this is about two years later. This is January of 2018. And Jeff, I was so tired of being sick. I was so tired. I of can't even imagine. Yeah. I was so tired of being a burden to my husband. I was so tired of being a burden to my son. Michael would jump up in the middle of the night to bring me a battery just to make sure I didn't die. Wow. Hey, mommy, I brought you a battery. And I said, well, buddy, I'm, my battery's not beeping. What do you need? Well, I just want to make sure you're okay. Yeah. I was so sick of that for everybody. And he, he asked me, Michael asked me one day, he said, he called me, he called it my robot heart. That's what he, that was his name for. He said, mommy, are you always going to have your robot heart? And I said, uh -huh. no, baby, mommy, mommy's going to get a heart transplant one day. And he said, okay, well, you know, he was just kind of going about his life. So I was, I was back in the hospital. It's January, 2018. And I remember waking up, it was January 12th, and I said, I am so sick of this. I called my best friend and I said, hey, guess what? I quit today. I'm tired of being the strong one. I'm tired of being all of that. I give up. And she said, well, hold on, hold on. That's that's a lot. So don't you have things to do? Like, aren't you supposed to like kind of write a book or something? And you know, you have all these things you wanted to do before you died. So before you just decide that you're going to give up on life, why don't you work on that book today? Why don't you do that? And I said, you know, okay, that's a good idea. She distracted me, right? <laughs> I'm going to do that. So I spent the rest of that day, Jeff, writing this book uh -huh. called, Shadow, called Shadow Boxer. So I spent all day writing this book. And I sent it to my editor. And I said, listen, I don't care what edits need to be made. Print it as it is because tomorrow I am not going to be here. So I called down to the chef and I said, listen, I need to order my last meal. Yeah. And he said, what do you want? I said, send me steak and some shrimp. And um, surf and turf. Cobbler. That's what I'm talking about. And some peach cobbler and some ice cream, right? Yeah. Um, and he sent it. And as I was, and I said to myself, I said, listen, if if nothing happens today, if, if, this is, if these are my last moments, then I'm going to savor every one of them. So I'm chewing that last bite of steak and I say, okay, God, universe, whatever you want to call it. If you are going to do something, now would be the time. And my phone rang immediately after I said that statement. And I answered it and it was my doctor. And he said, Brittany. And I said, yes, sir. He said, we have a heart for you. The moment that you said it better be now or never. That's right. I'm like, is this all I had to say for years ago? I should have. I should have done this years ago. Yeah, exactly. I said, well, wait a minute, because, you know, you said this whole antibody thing. So of the thousand, you said 600 have to match. How many of them match? He said a thousand. Wow. It's a thousand percent match. Yeah. And I said, okay, let's, let's, let's yeah. do it. That's amazing. So we went to, we I called everybody, right? I'm calling all of these people and saying, guys, I get, do you know how amazing it is, Jeff, to call your mom that has been watching your child die and say, mom, I'm going to get to live. Yeah, I get a new heart and a second a chance, at life. chance at life. Wow. Um, and in calling everybody, right? And calling my goddaughters and calling my husband and calling Micah and saying, buddy, mommy's going to get a new heart. And I always promised him because with the mechanical heart, I couldn't really be near water, but I love water. I'm, I'm a scuba yeah. diver. So I promised him, I said, listen, we're going to swim with dolphins after mommy gets a new heart. And he's like, okay. So I called him and I said, guess what? We're going to get to go swim with dolphins. And he goes, you got to get a new heart. I said, yes, yeah. baby, I'm yeah. going to get a new yeah. heart. Um, so everybody comes up to the hospital and, and, and of course, that's all the great, wonderful, happy stuff that's happening on the surface. Behind the scenes, I am about to go into a surgery where they are going to remove. Yeah. So I am feverishly writing letters, feverishly, and making voice recordings to Micah on his seventh birthday, to Micah on his eighth birthday, to Micah on his oh, man. 12th birthday, uh -huh. to Micah on his 18th birthday, to Micah on his graduation day, to Micah on his wedding day. To Micah's wife, to Micah's children, 
to my mom to remind you that you were amazing, to my husband mm-hmm. to think all that you've done, to my goddaughters on their wedding day. They're 12, but I'm having to fast forward through life in a moment yeah. in order to make sure that everybody knows how much they are loved and how much they are seen and heard and felt and treasured. And I can tell you one thing. People always ask me, what was the most important thing that you remember about before going into transplant surgery? And I said, I remember thinking all of the things that we are taught to chase are worthless. It does not matter how much money is in my bank account. Right if you ain't going to be here tomorrow, what's it matter, right? Yeah, it, 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 it doesn't matter how much money is in my bank account. It doesn't matter what kind of car I drive. It doesn't matter how much square footage my house is. What matters are the people that are standing around this bed and whether or not they know that they have been loved and have loved me well. That is the only thing that matters in that moment. So even if I didn't make it, the lesson that they got from realizing, from standing around that bed and realizing, oh wait, none of that stuff matters. Yeah. Is and my goddaughters tell me all the time, they're like, because of what you went through, and now they're they're older, now they're 17, 19, and 24. But then that was, you know, five years ago. So they're like, you know, watching you go through that made us realize what really matters. And it's it's not the stuff that people say matters. So they roll me away from my family. And they get me into this operating room and they say, is there anything you want to say or do before we put you under? And I said, just wake me up for the Saints game in the morning. <laughs> wake me up when the Saints come in. Yeah, well, the Saints and the Vikings were playing in that game. Uh-huh, that we I know. <laughs> I'm using that as an analogy. Wake me up when the Saints come marching in. Wake me up when the Saints come marching in. So, um, so I said, hey, wake me up for the Saints game. I got to be up for the playoff game. And they said, yeah, let's see. <laughs> we'll see how that works out. Um, and I drifted off. And then I woke up. Now, taking a step back, that mechanical heart that I had, it was machine. Machines mm-hmm. are continuous. So it was like a motor. So if you hugged me, I no longer had a heartbeat. You put your arms on my, if you felt my pulse, I didn't have one. It was a machine pumping my heart. So for two years, I have not had a heartbeat. I've just had this machine running inside of me. I can't even so imagine. I wake, up, I wake up and my arms are tied to the bed because they don't want you, you know, messing with all of this, right? So your arms are tied to the bed when you wake up. I'm intubated. I've got this tube down my throat, tied up. Uh-huh. And I feel this heartbeat. Before my eyes are even open, just coming into consciousness, I feel I'm a, first of all, I'm alive. Yeah. And coming back into the world when you didn't plan on it. Yeah. Is insane. Did they tell you anything about where that heart come from? Came from? I know everything about this heart. Everything. I did an episode. Uh, sorry, a few mo- a few weeks ago, and it was a lady whose only son died in combat. They she donated his organs, and his heart actually went to a family or a close uh, connection that was on the donor list for a long time. And uh, the the there were dozens and dozens of people whose lives were changed because of her son's organs and tissue. And uh, some of them know about her son. Some of them don't. But I'm I'm thinking, I'm just putting myself in your shoes. So Jill Stevenson talked about the shoes of the family that donated the organs and the tissues and what that decision, you know, how hard that decision was, but how many lives were touched by it. You're the opposite end of the spectrum. You're the one who wakes up. And honestly, you have a very weak heart for years and then no heartbeat for years. And now you wake up and you've got somebody else's heart and it's beating strong in your chest. And it is strong. It is wow. so strong. I remember having a headache because it was so strong. I, I was like, <laughs> This heart is working so, so hard that it's pumping oh blood God. for the first time in a long time to my brain. Yes, it was. And and I said, 
I remember there's a video of me. I'm actually watching the Saints game because I woke up for that game. Um, and they're like, did the Saints okay? win? It's no, it was the game with it's the, the game ball. where they lost in the last, the very, I, I, I remember this game. Yeah. I, I remember it. Going, ah! And I'm tied I to remember. the bed and yep. I'm not on my machine. <laughs> wow. But, um, I, even in that video, I look over at my nurse and she's like, I'm blinking my eyes really hard. And she's like, are you okay? I'm like, this heart is on it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is beating. I don't want to put you in a really awkward place. Can you tell us whose heart that is, or just tell us a little bit about the person who you, whose heart you received? This heart belongs to Gary. Wow. Hey, if bad? you're driving, you can't see this picture that she's holding up of Gary, this young, very, what looks like very healthy young man yeah. um, who just gave a second chance at life to Brittany because he lost his. That's right. So this is my Gary, and this is just as much his story as it is mine. That's a beautiful picture that you got there of Gary's heart beating strong in your chest. Yeah, it is. He's uh, He was 22. And wow. He lost his life. But How old are you when you received Gary's heart? When I received Gary's heart, I was 33. Uh huh. So my now for like younger than I am. <laughs> yeah, for I was going to say for a lot of the listeners right now, they're like, "This lady has an incredible story, man! What an amazing woman!" But the story doesn't end there. Um, tell us what happens next in the same year to you. Um, this you you received Gary's heart during the playoffs, uh, January of 2018. During the playoffs, January 2018. That's right. I get the heart. I I'm doing great. Um. And I go home. I, I mean, I'm walking the day I come out of surgery. You just, walk home from the hospital? No, I didn't walk well, home. Not, from the not hospital. walk home, but I mean, you're walking you're walking. Yeah, walking around the hospital, and and I'm wow. on the treadmill. And I mean, I am going. Wow. I, this is incredible. Twenty-two year old heart, right? Like I am yeah. going. Um, and I go home, and everything is great, and the healing is going really, really well. Um, and as a gift to myself, I said, you know what? If I survive all of this stuff. Because remember, I haven't celebrated my master's degree. I haven't, yeah. you know, I've got stuff I want to celebrate. Um, I said, I'm going to go to Australia. I really want to go to Australia. So I said, Why? Okay. Why Australia? Uh, I Australia and Antarctica are my last two continents. And then I've, I've hit everything. What? Continent. All right. So Look at you. We're trying to, we're trying to catch all of them while we're on this planet. All right. Uh, okay. So, um, so I said, okay, I will, for... I got the heart on January 12th and my birthday is January 17th. So I was like, it'll be like a birthday present slash yeah, that's a birthday present, present right there. Yeah, exactly. That's I'll, I'll do all of that stuff at one time. So I'll take myself to Antarctica for that. So I had to go get my one year checkup. So I went kind of late December. I said, Hey, you know, I know I'm not quite at a year yet for my heart, but I feel like I have a cold. So I just want to make sure everything's good. Um, so they did a full workup. And they said, no, you don't have a cold, actually, um, but you can't go to Antarctica. I said, okay, well, what's, what's the, what is the problem? Because I know something's wrong. And they said, between your liver and your spleen, you have about 300 cancerous lesions. You have stage four cancer. Oh, my goodness. You have a brand new heart at the beginning of 2018, and by the end of 2018, they're telling you stage four cancer and a lot of cancer, and your hopes and dreams for a second chance of life just came shattering in around you. Right, because a healthy Brittany pre-heart transplant with a healthy heart would have been up for this challenge. But Jeff, I have died six times. I've lived for two years on a mechanical heart. And now I'm carrying the heart of, a, of another man trying to push his legacy forward. And you're telling yeah. me I have to go to battle with stage four cancer? And it's not something they can open me up and cut out. There are 300 micro-sized lesions wow. in the organs, and I cannot do anything except go through chemo and radiation. 
And by the way, the the little that I know about cancer, this type of cancer, cancer in this region of the body is extremely painful and very, very hard to treat. So, man. And you know, they told me, they said, you're going to have to go through chemo. You're going to have to go through radiation. Everything is going to hurt. And because you don't, you already have only half of an immune system. When you go through chemo, you don't have any immune system. So everything will be trying to kill you, even your own body. So you see how people are when they're just going through chemo. Just how their bodies change, how how they take, how that takes a toll. So imagine that. Plus, I'm still taking medicine to make my immune system even lower so that it doesn't find this this beautifully transplanted heart. And I still have to pretend, because I can't tell Micah I have cancer. Right, yeah. Recovered from transplant with me. I was thinking, I know friends that have gone through chemo and radiation kind of middle middle of their life, and it devastated them so bad that at some point they just decided, I'm not doing it. I'm going to let the cancer run its course. This is worse than dying of cancer. And they stopped the treatments because it's that devastating. But I don't know any of them who are going through it with a brand new heart transplant the same year that you get this cancer diagnosis. I, I can't imagine the mental toughness that it took for you to handle that kind of pain and what that was doing to your body. Well, and you know, to be honest, the one thing I asked my doctor, he said, is there anything I can do for you? I said, you can give me the number to a really good psychologist because I'm going to need some support. Yeah, of course you are. He said, you can just use anybody. Anybody. (laughs) He said, just call anybody who who is done with a heart transplant and stage four cancer in the same year. Sure. Right. And I said, no, I, I can't call anybody. I need someone because anybody hasn't written letters to their son for every birthday. Right. Anybody has not had to decide, do I save my life or my son? Anybody has not had, does not have to live with the legacy inside of them of someone else. So no, I can't mm-hmm. call anybody. I need someone to help me process the death that, I, that I've died, the battle that's before me, and the life that I have to live if I survive this battle. And so I was looking for what I would consider a critical illness psychologist. And I could not find one. Explain what that is to the listener who's never heard that phrase before. What's a critical illness psychologist? There isn't a critical illness psychologist. I would think that it would be someone that specializes in psychology or in therapy for a person that has a critical illness or a rare disease. So they're kind of constantly or perpetually in this state of illness. So, you know, when we get the cold, a cold or the flu, we get so frustrated and so upset. It takes a mental toll. Yeah. So oh, it to does. Yeah. To, to build up some mental resiliency around that illness um, and work through it. That's what I would imagine that a critical illness psychologist would do. So for me, that specifically meant finding someone that wouldn't just sit on the couch across from me and say, I'm sorry you're going through that. Or I'm sorry. Sounds really something. tough for you. Right. I wanted someone to sit across from me and say, I know exactly how that feels. I remember signing that paper. And I couldn't find anyone like that. So <coughs> as the doctor was drawing up my drawing up the plans for my chemotherapy, working with my transplant team and doing all of that, I was researching um, online doctoral programs. Okay, everybody, here here she goes again. Listen to this. I'm in a cardiac ICU. Why not knock out a master's degree? I'm about to go through chemo and radiation. Why not work on a doctorate? What the heck? Because, Jeff, I could not. I needed chemo to survive, but I also needed that doctorate to survive. Yes, and of course, and and I, I hope people, I want you to say that again, because I hope people are hearing this. You're not pursuing this recklessly. For you, this is a lifeline, and I'm looking for something that's not out there, and I need I need something to hold hope for that, that I can hope for and hold on to for the future. So you start working on a doctorate while you're going through chemo and radiation. Right. So I, I literally, the same day, I got two emails. One of them outlined my cancer treatment, the dates the places, all that stuff. 
and the other one was the acceptance letter. So congratulations, you have cancer and here's the treatment. Oh, wait, congratulations, you've been accepted into a doctoral program. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And I explained everything to my professors and luckily it was an online program, so I was able to work around it. So when I was sitting in those chemo rooms and that stuff was going through my body, I was not watching. Poison. Your body's being poisoned. I was not watching the poison go into my body. I was reading about the disparity in in childbirth, or I was reading about how to help someone through depression. I was training myself to help others live. I was training myself to heal other people while I was dying. You were becoming the person for others that you needed somebody to be for you. Absolutely. Is what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that why we chase what we chase? We chase it because we say, I don't ever want someone to look for this again. To have to do what I what have to go through what I went through. Exactly. So I thought if I if I am looking for this, how many other people are looking for this? And they may not have the words critical illness psychologist, right? They might just say, I just need somebody to talk to. Yeah. Right. But I understand both of those because I've been the patient and the provider. Yeah. So I went through the chemo, went through the doctorate. Um, Finished both, by the way, for the listener. Both. Um, the chemo actually didn't get all of the cancer. So after the chemo, we were supposed to do the, the chemo kind of made the, the cancer mad. It fixed some of it, but it, it kind of pissed it off. Sorry, I love your that. terminology. Now I got mad cancer inside and of me. Now I have mad cancer. The happy cancer is bad enough. Mad cancer, are, not good. We are six treatments in. The cancer is mad and the heart is starting to fail. Wow. So they said, listen, we have to do radiation. We're supposed to do 45 treatments of radiation over nine weeks. We don't have that time. So now we're going to give you what we were going to give you we were going to give you 45 times we're going to give it to you nine times now we're going to we're going to give you much much worse and much more intense usually you have weeks to to do this going home every day we're going to admit you in the hospital for nine days and every day you're going to go to radiation and get 45 times the amount you are going to get wow and i'm so I, I would get up in the morning. They would take me by ambulance to the radiation center. They would radiate me. I would come back. I would take some medicine. I would get up. I would meet with my cohort and work on my dissertation. And I would sleep. That was it. Good gracious. That was it. And we finished radiation. And they said, it's still not done. And I said, what do we do now? They said, we cannot go back to chemo. The heart will fail. We can try one trial drug. You are only eligible for one. And if we, if that works, great. If it doesn't, enjoy what you have. Yeah. So we did this one trial drug and it worked. It it worked. And I got the call that, Brittany, the cancer is gone. There is no sign of it anywhere wow. is 100% eradicated and go take your trip do your yeah. stuff do your you are uh i was a, i was at the end of my dissertation yeah um, she said go 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 do something go celebrate go to go to australia now you can go and i said fantastic and at the yeah. bottom of the, i'm sitting here on the phone with my doctor and i'm watching the tv and at the bottom of the television screen there's a ticker going by and it's saying first case of COVID has arrived in the United States. <laughs> and and you know the rest of that story. Yeah, needless to say, <laughs> you're not gonna be traveling to Australia anytime soon. I mean I was like, look, they've got a new flu out and we'll go get a shot and be fine. Yeah. And yeah. That was February of twenty twenty. And Wow. Uh, it is 2023 and we are in a completely different place in life, but we are happy and we are healthy and we are helping to heal the world in ways that I never imagined. And we're talking to Jeff.
I got to tell you about another guest that I had just a, about a year ago or so um, and how much I learned from him. Um, I got to tell you about episode 45. But before I do that, we've got a sponsor. Um, it's Go Ministries. And the reason why I want to tell you, tell the audience about Go Ministries is because Will, the, the founder of Go Ministries, he's just trying to raise up people that's lives have been radically changed and help connect them with other people so that their lives can be radically changed. What you're going to hear at the end of Brittany's story is how much of a difference she's making for other people now. So y'all check out this episode or this um, spotlight of Go Ministries. And then Brittany, I want to tell you about episode 45 of Unbeatable. Hi, my name is Will Parton. I'm the president of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. Over the past 30 years, I've seen our ministry go from one family, one church, and one school to over 300 local leaders making disciples in 150 different communities through church planting, sports, and medical. And we're getting ready to expand into other countries. The way that we define a disciple-making culture is when mentorship, mission, and multiplication are present. When there's that one-on-one -on -one mentorship between two people that are sharing the gospel, we believe that discipleship is taking place. And then when a group of people are gathering together and they're on mission together, serving their community that surrounds them, that's another part of discipleship. And then lastly, you can't be a disciple or disciple maker if multiplication isn't the final goal. So would you please join us in our disciple making movement and our disciple making culture by going to gomen.org. Hey, Brittany. On episode 45, I talked to a guy from Australia, funny, or not, uh, funny enough, his name is Bill Gassiamas, and Bill, as a young man, very healthy, working in a very physically demanding job, had a stroke. One stroke turned into two, two strokes turned into three, and it radically changed his life. He's married, he's got children, and now his life has been completely thrown upside down. Bill makes this statement in the middle of his episode that floored me. He said, Jeff, I will never, ever be the same again. Everything about my life is different because I've had multiple strokes and now I know it can happen anytime tomorrow and I'm gone and there's no preparation for it. But he said, it actually became the greatest thing that ever happened to me because I was a jerk. I was selfish. I only thought about money and success and me and this stroke made me focus on the what the stuff that you just talked about, the things of life that really matter. And now I am a very, very different man. And I said, Bill, I wish everybody, and I'm saying this to you, Brittany, I wish everybody could learn the lesson that you and Bill learned, just not have to go through what you guys went through to learn it. Because frankly, most of us don't learn those lessons until it's too late. Some people never learn those lessons at all. And uh, you learn some powerful lessons when you're in the hospital and hearing, if you don't get a heart, you're not going to survive. If you don't have chemo and radiation, you're not going to survive. If you don't take this experimental drug, everything else we've tried didn't work. Say goodbye to your baby because you're not going to make it. And that puts a lot of things into perspective. So can we wrap this episode up with just describing how much your life has changed now and how you're helping people today as a as a, a psychologist that can walk with other people because you've been where they've been. Absolutely. Um, and like you said, there's so many things that change and, and it was, it was the worst, greatest thing that could ever have happened. But I'm <laughs> writing this down. The worst, greatest thing that the ever happened to me. Greatest thing that could have ever happened because, um, because I was focused on other things. I was focused on career and money and corporate ladders. And now I'm focused on hope and healing. And that's very, very different. Yeah. So wow. now what I do is I, I like to say I help people specifically. It, it started with just critical illness patients. But I realized just like in my life, it wasn't just me that was affected by my illness. It was me, it was my husband, it was my son. It was, my it was mom. your mom, it was everybody who loves you. Right. Yeah. So I, help, so I help people in their families. I help critical illness patients in their families to create environments where they can heal. And you know, people say, well, are you 
are you a therapist? And I said, no, I don't, I don't consider myself a therapist because just like your other guest um, said, I don't, like last week, Jeff, I was in the hospital for 10 days. So because, because wow. of my own thing, right? Yeah. So I yeah. can't constantly have a, a treatment, a treatment clientele because there are days where I'm in the hospital and I can't function. So I help people create environments where they can heal because if, not even if, when that day comes, because I don't have a pacemaker anymore, I just have this new heart. Yeah. So yeah. If this new heart decides to fail and I do go away. I don't want And everybody's heart is gonna fail one day. Yeah. Everybody's heart is gonna fail, right? It, it's that's a whole different conversation. But <laughs> but yes, I wish we had time for that conversation because it's a really a important one. Conversation, yeah. Um when that time comes, I want those people to be able to create healing for themselves over yeah. and over and over again. I don't want them to have to find a couch to sit on. I want to teach them something one time that can go with them and go with them for generations of healing, not just for a moment that we spend an hour together. So right now, my main focus is on is on healing critical illness patients and on healing their caregivers and on healing our caregivers. So there's also a program that I've developed for doctors and nurses and any healthcare provider to help them have a safe space and yeah. heal develop some of those that mental toughness the um the theme for this year is mentality rules all right mentality rules i want to mention um some people that have been through what you've been through are going to work as hard as they can to put it in the past to move on to forget it to never have to deal with it or think about it again the fact that you're willing to kind of live there so that you can help other people speaks a lot about who you are as a person, Brittany, because many people need somebody who, who understands. You don't have to go through it, but you at least have to have an understanding of it. But very few people have chosen to be, out, be able to be vulnerable and humble and, and walking with people through what you went through. Most people would want to get away from it and not have anything to do with it in the future. Well, our family considers this a blessing. Even Micah is 12 now and he has started his own nonprofit um, that takes wow. care of the children of those that are critically ill. Yeah. His nonprofit, Micah Gives, even does its mm. own thing in making sure that 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 part of the family unit is taken care of and protected. Yeah. Um, and it's we've we have found that it's all about being able to heal places heal people in places that science can't reach. Yeah. It's about love. It's about kindness. It's about acceptance and respect and gratitude. True, actual gratitude for these smallest moments. Uh -huh. And for other humans. Right. Well, so finding, myself, finding myself, I found myself when I died. Yeah. And in finding myself, I found my purpose. And in finding my purpose, I have found healing for myself and healing for others in ways that I could have not ever described 10 years ago. You're using almost the exact same words that Bill used. He now helps people that have gone through what he's going through. And he said the exact same thing. And it's fascinating how, how different your circumstances are, but how similar the uh, results have been. If people want to learn more about your book or learn more about you, where do they find out about you? But I, I also want you to tell them how people can find out about Micah and Micah Gibbs. <laughs> um, both of us are on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. Um, my handle is at Dr. Brittany Speaks. So at Dr. Brittany, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y, Speaks, S-P-E-A-K-S, or just my website, BrittanySpeaks.com. And Micah is on Instagram and Facebook, managed by mommy, of course. Of um, course, yeah. At, um, at Micah, M-I-C-A-H, Gibbs, G-I-V-E-S. And we'll put links to this in the notes to this episode. I'm going to ask everybody to go out and check out uh, Micah's and Dr. Brittany's uh, Instagram, their social media accounts. Please go check them out. But I want to just tell you, Brittany, you've got an incredible story. 
And I'm so glad to hear you using this story to help other people who are struggling with hopelessness or with the, the, with looking for healing and, um, that you were struggling with. Thanks for taking your, your, your painful experiences and turn them into powerful tools to help other people. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. Thank you for allowing me to share my story with your listeners. It has been Yeah, it's been great having you. And we'll see you later. As Brittany was talking, I couldn't help but think many people wait way too long. Some people never learn the lesson that she described while she's sitting in that hospital room waiting for a heart transplant and realizing I have some loved ones that need to know how much they mean to me. So I've got a challenge for you. In fact, I've got a challenge for myself this week. Don't wait. Don't wait until it's too late. Maybe you never get the opportunity. Do what Brittany did today. Make a phone call. Write a text. Send somebody a note and just tell them, I love you. You mean the world to me. Don't wait until it's too late because you may never get the chance to do what Brittany did when she's recording voice messages for her son many years into the future before going in for that heart transplant. I want to tell you thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Unbeatable. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope that you were blown away by what you heard. And if you really like it, why don't you go ahead and subscribe on YouTube or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We have some of the best fans on the planet. I'm convinced the Unbeatable Army are some of the best fans out there. And I want to highlight one of those fans today. The fan of the week for this episode is James Feltz. And I just want to say, James, thank you for being awesome. Thank you for connecting and for um, all of the comments that you put on social media. Hey, for the rest of you, if you want to become the fan of the week, just get active on one of our social media platforms. And you can find us pretty much everywhere. Just search for at Unbeatable Podcast. Now I want to wrap up with this. I want to help people by connecting people that have gone through some pretty intense stuff. That's the whole reason why this podcast exists. But we also deliver content. We try to make it possible to encourage you throughout the week and help you encourage others or others to encourage you. We call this the unbeatable army. It's the people connected with this podcast that are staying connected after the episode is over with. And if you want to be part of the Unbeatable Army, all you got to do is just simply go to unbeatablearmy.com. It's totally free, and it's just our way of encouraging and connecting you. I hope you have a great week, and I'll see you right back here next time for the next episode of Unbeatable.